welcome to episode 21 of Major Revisions. I am itinerant postdoc John Walter, and with me as always are the always stellar Jeff Atkins of Virginia Commonwealth University and Grace Wilkinson of Iowa State. How are you guys doing tonight? Pretty good, pretty good. John, I'm, you, do- Jeff? I'm doing well, but can you believe that Rick Porcello has let up four runs in six innings? Oh my god, what is with this guy? Cy Young, Jesus. Is he on your... I'm doing great, John. Is he on How your fantasy you? team? <laughs> Do you is have Porcello on your fantasy team? Uh, yes, yes, he is actually. Which is, uh... I'm, no, everything's great. It's great, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you're in first place. Oh yeah, so yeah, you guys don't know. Um, I think we talked about fantasy football all right too, but I sucker John into joining. Um, I guess like five or six years ago now, like a fantasy baseball league that friends of mine started when we were in like undergrad. So like years ago. So we're like well over a decade at this point into this league. Um, and only in the last two or three years has my team been any good. And I finally made it to first place a couple days ago, but John's team seems to be going the other direction. I was in first place at the beginning of the season and now I'm in eighth. So well, we're not doing so hot. Uh, so, does this run for the full length of the baseball season? Like, you have over 100 games to determine. All 162. Okay. So, really, you guys know nothing at this point, is what you're saying. Well, no, shit. No, I'm, in, it's... I'm in second place now. Dang it. I mean, you kind of you get an Porcello. idea. Like, you kind of... You can see by about the midsummer the trajectory of where okay. you're going. And so, since it's like a league where we've... Um, you know, we played for so long. It's a league where you like keep players, and the idea is you kind of build teams, and you have to you actually interact with the people in the league. So, you know, there are people who who attempt to tank, and who by the midsummer will be like, "Yeah, I'm clearly not winning," and we'll just trade everything off, you know, for younger players who they can keep, and maybe we'll be good in the future. So, you're saying actually interact in the league? This is different than our fantasy football league, then? Yeah, when we tried to do that with the department, which some years it was really, really good, and then some years it was just. Eh. And I think part of that was based on the effort that some of us had to put into it. Because a lot of those things just take, you know, the impetus of someone to organize and, and keep them going. And um, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sometimes it falls apart. This league, though, is, is pretty good, though, just because it's, it's you know, really chill people and people are laid back. My, um, my wife's in it, too. And then the one year, there was one year where she was, um, after our youngest was born, and so we just moved up here, so she was home a lot more. And so she would watch this thing like constantly, and she just kicked everyone's ass that year because she was just constantly watching and picking up people. Um, so, yeah. But anyway, she killed us. That's for sure. Fantasy sports. So riveting. <laughs> John brought up a good point that this is our twenty-first episode. We can drink now. That's right. This podcast is old enough to drink. <laughs> Cheers. Are we are we supposed to pretend like we haven't been drinking this whole yeah, time? Sure. Well, <laughs> we do we do have well we have a a, a a pre episode that was lost and then we have episode 15 which was lost. <laughs> so, we're either at 20 or 22. I don't know how you really count that. Um maybe even 23. But late twenty one. We have to start. We have to start planning for the big round number episodes when we get to that. The extravagant. Yeah. So I don't know when the first. It'd be fantastic. I guess fifty would be the first real big round one. 
Let's call it fifty. Or when we're when we're a year out, we'll do that. But we we've yeah. been catching a lot of steam lately, and so I, you know, we definitely want to thank everyone for listening. It's been great, got a lot of good feedback, and um, yeah, it's kind of awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. So. Go ahead. I don't know what I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just gonna ask John how his summer is going because he mentioned feeling a little lonely. Yeah, um, I don't have any field projects going on this summer. Is this your first like summer I have without a- field work? No, it's not my first without field work. Um, but the the last lab I was in, there were. Uh, a total of four postdocs who are all kind of doing theory and quantitative ecology stuff. So there was sort of like a critical mass of people and a lot of folks around. And um, yeah, now that I'm back in Charlottesville, it's, you know, it's really quiet. Um, I mean, of course, a lot of the people that I know have graduated. Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um Thank goodness for them. I mean, not for me. I'd love to have more friends hanging around. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so it's kind of, it's kind of been, uh, a little slow around the office and stuff. So it can be lonely. I don't know. What about you get? It can be hmm. lonely. Like I haven't like my, some of the people I, who are in my lab, like they've either taken vacation this first part of June or they've already moved up North because most of us are going to the university of Michigan. Uh, bio station for the summer and so i've been very lonely for like the last month you know <laughs> it went from like may where i was still like teaching classes and seeing everybody and you know it's just yeah it's been a very lonely month but i only have like two more days of it and then we're heading north and i get to go have science summer camp so i'm excited for that <laughs> it's, that's the most fun so yeah i've been kind of yeah. so i've been just missing the field work component because everybody else is doing it in the lab and not me. Oh, it's um, kind of sad. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it is. It really is. So I went um, limnological bunburying this weekend. <laughs> uh, so, wait, so you got you to explain to me, what, what, what is bunburying? Yeah, so bunburying is from Oscar Wilde's The Importance of Being Earnest. And Bunbury is a fictitious character that the main character has made up so that he can get out of the city for a while and avoid all of his social engagements. And so he has to go visit his invalid friend, Bunbury, in the country. And that's what he tells all of his friends in the city. And so I went limnologically Bunburying this weekend, which means um, I, I was visiting friends, which was fantastic. It was great to see them. But I the reason or the excuse that I came up with um, was to assist my postdoc with taking some samples. And I did not need to be there. He's a very capable person. Um, and he could have done his own damn sampling. <laughs> but... My, I, I came I would, up with this excuse. My advisor yeah? used to my advisor used to do this. He would come out with us every now and then, you know, to help in the field. <laughs> yeah. Do you just take pictures You're the just whole time? Hike around, <laughs> look at things, take pictures. Then we would go eat burritos. <laughs> you know, we, we one time we went to um it, to Davis, West Virginia has a festival in the fall called Leaf Peepers. Um, which refers to people peeping at leaves, right? Like people who come to the town to visit the leaves because the leaves turn there quicker than they do anywhere else in the state. Um, but they also have a dog fashion show at this um, event. <laughs> or they used to. They didn't have it last year. 
but um, where you would dress your dogs up and your dogs would compete for you know best dressed or best celebrity impression, you know, impersonation, all kinds of different um, categories, and it was exceptional. Highly recommended. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's really remarkable. We'll all have to try that for our dogs. <laughs> One of these days soon. Oh, man. Oh. I want to get some doggles. That's what I want. <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll keep everyone updated when Leaf Peepers comes out. Um, I believe it's the third weekend in September, but um, we'll put that up. And I'm going to try to go. I think it's fun. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you guys both have other plans yeah, the third weekend of September. Oh, wait, shit. Did you book that <laughs> during sure Leaf Peepers? Married. John. Hold on, I'm going to Google this real quick. John, will you introduce the real topic while I look up the actual important thing that's happening the third weekend of September? Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to say, if you miss my wedding for a dog fashion show, we're going to have words. To be fair, your fiancé would understand. <laughs> she might miss the for this. There, there, there might be some dog fashions at our wedding, so you can get a little, a little bit of a replacement for that. On the website, if there is dog fashion, there'll be so much dog fashion. Um. All right. Oh, so, no. uh, our twenty third to the twenty fifth. We're good. Okay. Yes. So, okay. I'm going to share this Facebook page for you guys right now. Make sure you, you like this. Okay. All right. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? Uh, we're talking about work-life balance. Uh, so that's... <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's a super rich topic. Uh, there's been a, a ton written on that and spoken on that um, in a lot of different venues. So of course we're going to add things that are completely novel and original and completely universal. That's the plan. So, so no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not likely. Um, but we've linked to some of our favorite materials on our website. And uh, hopefully for you guys, we can stumble onto some nuggets of wisdom. Uh, but, but you know, one thing that I think, I think we can kind of speak to that uh, and, and add something to this discussion is you know, how has our work-life balance changed as we've moved from grad student to postdoc and uh, now assistant professor for Grace? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that's tough for me to Can respond you... to, like, to some degrees to answer because the assistant professor thing is still so new. But to some degree, it the work-life balance it's a give and take it's never a constant for me at least it's always um there are some weeks where it will be 60 hours a week and there's some weeks where I can just take it a little bit easier and perhaps go bunburying up in the Northwoods um and so it, it it's still that give and take but it seems like the pendulum swings are a little bit bigger now yeah real sense? quick just it does, and and just on that point, like you bring up something that I think goes a little underappreciated for this profession, is that yeah, there are weeks, you know, where you're going to have like 60, 70 hours or something crazy, right? Like there's a deadline, or you know, if you're doing in the field season, and 
you know, you have to do during that time. Um, you know, you have a you know, very short time frame in which you do an experiment or something. There are those weeks, but there are other periods where things are real chill and you, it can be really flexible. You know, like I don't, I appreciate now like having the time to be able to, you know, like during the summer here before, you know, I leave for anything, like I can take my kids to camp or school or whatnot. Um, I can adjust that schedule to be around them. You know, there, but there are trade-offs with that, but yeah, it sucks, man. Like there are some weeks where it's crazy, 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 but we don't necessarily have like that fixed, you know, we're not punching a clock and you know, for me personally, having lived that life, I like this so much better. I hate punching the clock. Um, so I don't know. That's always absolutely. It's always been a positive to me. Like I've worked those jobs and I hate them. I can't stand it. It's just not me. And you, but you know, there are other people and you know, I have family members who are like this. We're like, you know, like I like it. Five o'clock comes around. I'm done. I check out. And that's cool. Um, you know, for us, I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of scientists and and academics feel this way probably that you are to some degree never really off, right? Like you're always got something in your mind like, oh, I could add this to that discussion and that would clarify that point. Or I could tweak this little variable in my code and maybe that would streamline it and shorten the time or something. You know, like there's always something you're always constantly kind of thinking, right? Absolutely. So I don't know, but I just wanted to throw that point out there when you bring, you said that because there is that variability. I like mm-hmm. um, But that also, that lack of structure can be, I think, intimidating because if you can't handle the lack of structure, or I guess it's not really can't handle, but it's just like if you're not, if you don't groove with that, you know, like it can be difficult. So. Yeah, or, or if you can't like self-impose that, um, on yourself like I you know I for the most part work a very consistent day um, that is not dissimilar to a nine to five um, but I wake up really early so I started earlier than than 9 a.m yeah um, and usually finish earlier than 5 p.m and you know and sometimes I do work after that too but that's sort of like you know my my baseline and unless I'm really inspired or really under the gun a lot of times you know i just don't have the focus and motivation to be productive outside of that you know eight to ten hours a day and sometimes even less than that so absolutely and and sometimes it's not consecutive perhaps it is for you but for me it's not sometimes like i know from about one to four i'm pretty much useless as far as higher (laughs) mental thought (laughs) And so that's when, (laughs) that's when I try to schedule my meetings. No, um, (laughs) 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 but you know, that's when I try to do other small tasks or sometimes like today I just came home because I just knew I wasn't going to get anything done. And then I kind of got back into my groove around four or five and I got to spend time with my husband at that other time, you know? So I, I really do appreciate, like you were saying, Jeff, that flexibility. Yeah, you know, something to kind of get back to the original topic um, of, of changing work-life work balance with different career stages, I think that I had a lot more unstructured time as a graduate student. Like, I spent a lot of time around 
you know, around work, um, you know, my work life and my social life were pretty similar. Um, you know, I, I went right from undergrad to a PhD program and, um, you know, didn't have, you know, family or, you know, serious, uh, relationships at that, you know, at the beginning of graduate school. Um, and so I was, you know, I was kind of always at or around work. Um, but there was a lot of like, you know, downtime and a lot of just like bullshitting with people and, you know, having coffee or, you know, grabbing a beer (laughs) and stuff like that. Um, and then towards the end of grad school and into becoming a postdoc, I think my time became a lot more structured and focused. I had other responsibilities, um, that kind of helped necessitate that. But, um, I think, you know, I've, I've actually, you know, gotten more productive in less time. And I think it's, it's partly from, you know, learning how I work and, and partly just from, um, doing a better job of, you know, setting aside, like, you know, what's the difference between work time and, you know, fun time and, you know, bullshit around time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. Like, I think about, I see, you know, kind of like situation Grace is in, and I know a couple of the people who are starting as assistant professors. And so I see that, and I think about that in the future, and I think about where I am right now on a postdoc, and I try to very much cherish the time that I have, knowing that there is, I still have some of those times of unstructured uh, periods of work where I can really devote, really kind of deep dive into this, um, into whatever it is I'm working on. And, um, yeah, I try not to take that for granted too much. Absolutely. The salad days. You know, you know something that's kind of been, um, good for me, but an interesting challenge is I have employees now who do sort of do a nine to five. Um, and, and I have like a couple full-time technicians in particular who are really good at respecting that work-life balance. Yeah. Like um, they're my age and they have that totally figured out and I don't, I'm not sure how, but I respect the hell of it, hell out of it. They're super yeah. good at it. Um, and so it's, it's forced me to have to change that a little bit. Um, you know, I, I, now I worry about like, Hey, if I send them an email at 11 PM, because I thought of something, I have no need for them to address it until tomorrow morning, but like, Oh, maybe I should just wait or try to schedule that email to get sent at 8 AM tomorrow and not 11 PM tonight. So they don't have to worry about it and things. So it's, it can also be hard to, um, try to learn other people's work, work life balance and respect it. Yeah. Yeah. When you talk about productive times, like, honestly, my most productive time is usually 9 p.m. to 2 a.m., kind of naturally. Um, yeah, well, yeah, so it's, I, hard, I try hard not to do that, but, yeah, I mean, people will get emails from me, like, late at night, and I don't think most, people who know me don't think anything of it anymore, because they know that I usually, like, you know, if, when I'm working in Richmond, I have to leave by, like, 3.30 to get back and get kids, and, you know, we have baseball practice and whatever else not that we have, and then usually go back and work for a little while that's just how i've structured my day yeah but i think also i know you know some of the people we've worked with maybe you guys have different opinions but i feel like 
we had some pretty good models for people who had work-life balance stuff figured out. Like I could think some of the professors we worked with. Um, you know, like I have infinite respect for you know, my advisor personally. Like you know, like he he and his wife got along. They had fun. They had like scheduled time. Like they used to have a. They still have um, a like ongoing squash tournament where they would meet. You know, a couple of times during the week, like for lunch and play squash. Um, you know, their kids were. You know, well behaved, <laughs> well balanced kids. Like they, they had stuff figured out, and I don't know how the hell you do that. Um, but yeah, it was cool. Like having you know really good role models who weren't like that. Who you know, like yeah, they would respond to emails late at night, but like they weren't always just working constantly either. So um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, so oh, go ahead. Well, as I say, one thing my advisor taught me and would talk a lot about was learning to think in the gaps and those gaps could be like hey while you're while you're mowing the lawn maybe you could be thinking about this one you know you're talking about how you you're thinking about how could i optimize this part of my code or add this point to the discussion yeah you know that's that's what thinking in the gaps is sort of like is doing that while you're weeding the garden or you're doing Mm -hmm. the dishes um or other things like that. Or, you know, I, are, are you guys maybe similar? Sometimes I get my best ideas in the shower. Right? No, I, like, I, I, I walk the dog and talk to her about how to optimize light acquisition um, within a forest. Well, see, there you go. You're thinking in the <laughs> yeah, gaps with so, your pup. I didn't know there was so, a name for that. But yeah, we talk about that. Yeah. So, and, and that was a really useful strategy for me to learn. I still struggle with it and, and work hard on that. But the thinking in the gaps. Well, that's a good as a way to sort of do that work-life balance. So, or maybe still could be a contributing member of my household. Yeah, so I want to get to that, Grace, because you have a unique position, I think, amongst the three of us, because your partner is actually actively in this field as well, or very, very, yeah. very similar related field, and, and mine and John's. Well, John's, John, you're, you guys kind of bridge a gap in a weird way, and then my wife is totally not in science because at least you know your your fiance went to you know has a master's in environmental science but um i guess before we get to that though my question would be what do you guys find that you struggle with the most like what's the hardest part hmm the hardest part as far as trying to maintain or respect that work-life balance yeah like what was the or achieving it, or achieving something that you yeah. were, was productive, but you were also comfortable and happy. So in my household, it's not always talking about work, because we do both sort of collaborate and have that um, scientific and professional relationship, as well as our personal relationship. Mm-hmm. It's it's um, And it's me, it's learning to shut up about work. <laughs> um, just to yeah. just think in the gaps and not like the gaps and then everything between the gaps. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Not verbalize every thought that I'm having. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. How about you, John? Um. I think. I mean. This is just something that comes, you know, comes to mind right now because um, there's just 
there's a it's a period of time where there's a lot going on with uh you know with manuscripts and grant writing and getting some new analyses off the ground and stuff like that um but in those busy times i can be a real asshole <laughs> And how does that manifest? It, um, I'm grumpy. I don't like being interrupted. You know, uh, if, you know, if, if I'm at work and, you know, and doing something and, um, you know, there's, you know, there's something like external that, um, you know, demands my attention. It, you know, is often giving a little give in a little bit too grudgingly um so yeah that i i think i think sometimes not always sort of not necessarily the time management aspect uh, but like the sort of more like attention management kind of yeah yeah kind of aspects of work-life balance and like really um you know, separating, um, you know, work and life in a way that I can give life, um, a, at least a decent version of me, uh, <laughs> the best John you can have. Yeah. Or at um, least the non-grumpy John. At least the non-grumpy John. Exactly. So how about you, Jeff? I think I think now it's um just kind of struggling to keep it all going cuz I feel like you can give I tend to compartmentalize things. Um I actually asked my wife about this now is that you know I was like you know we're recording a show tonight thinking about work life balance like what's the hardest part uh, for you for you know me being in the field that I'm in and I thought it was interesting that she came up with one that we don't really share a shared language of um, mm. kind of, which is weird because like we used to actually work together because we were both in mental health before. And now she's in kind of like social work, um, you know. And now there's kind of like it's, which is interesting because I kind of think of it as, like you said, Grace, about you guys tend to talk about work a lot. Um, for us, it's kind of hard to, in some respects, like to really get into the nitty gritty of it. So to me, that can actually be a positive because um, it's like well, we don't have to. You know, we can talk about other things. But it's just kind of interesting to hear her perspective, you know, that it's this lack of a shared experience that we don't have anymore. So I thought that was kind of interesting. That yeah. and like that I'm gone a lot during the summer. Um, I guess I've also found that at points yeah. difficult in, you know, talking about optimizing time and being as productive as possible. And I've tried to think, you know, it's like when I'm at work, I need to work and I need to get focused on that. Um, and I always found it difficult, you know, doing field work and sometimes having to rely on other people who were not necessarily on when they were on, you know, like, you know, you, you get all this trouble like, to, when you're doing some type of large field work or experiment or whatnot, like there's a lot of money involved and you know, there's a lot of effort to get out there. And so you want people to, you know, when we're out there, like we need to be out there and we need to get it done. Um, particularly some mm -hmm. of the stuff that I do is highly dependent on weather and you know having the right meteorological conditions so when it's time to sample stuff it's time to sample we got to do it we got to do it quickly efficiently and we got to get it done 
and um, yeah, that can be a struggle. And so I've tried to get better at because I'm not a terrible manager. In fact, the problem is that I tend to be very lackadaisical, and um, you know, like I'm not. I don't know. I'm not. I don't know. Like I'm not. I'm definitely not micromanaging because I hate that and I would never do that. But I can tend to be the opposite extreme. So I know that's a skill that I need to get. Ah. Better at. Um, but I think formally, or formerly, like in grad school, the hardest part for me was making it all work. Um, and I know that like my own health deteriorated a lot. I just got really out of shape because there was like no time to do anything else, right? Like it was like, and I ended up working like a couple extra jobs. Um, there was a while that I even worked like, um, uh, like a loading dock job, like early in the morning, like 5 a.m. to 8 a.m., you know, to kind of make it work because grad school doesn't pay a lot. And if you have kids, like kids are expensive and man, it's rough. dude. It can be really, really rough. Like I kind of, like I didn't even like tell anyone that I had that. Like this is actually the first time I probably actually really ever talked about it outside. Like um, my wife's the only one who really knew because I didn't want anyone yeah. to know. <laughs> like, yeah. I didn't want it to affect everything. And so it is a trade-off, though, because, you you know, like, for me, personally, like, I would have never made it financially if I had not worked the two extra jobs that I worked, you know, to make it through grad school. But it's a trade-off because you realize that when you're doing that, that's hours that you can't be writing the dissertation, you can't be writing papers, and you know that it delays things. Mm-hmm. So there has to be, like, this trade-off where you take, like, okay, this is going to take me longer. And I know I'm going to be a little bit behind where I am, but I wouldn't be here otherwise. And so it's just kind of like accepting that. But there's always something that has to give. And for me, it was kind of time and just getting really unhealthy, like just lazy, you know. <laughs> like, like you don't have time to like, you know, if you're working two jobs and doing grad school and kids and whatnot, like you don't have time to, you know, go run or anything. And so yeah. I tried to get into that more. Um you know, now, and I find that easier with being a postdoc, and also, like, having kids, like, in regular school, and not having to pay preschool is nice, um, so you don't have that financial burden, uh, which we're going to link to this, there's an article, I guess it's a report, what is it, Parents in the Pipeline, The Pregnant Scholar, I forget the actual title of this, um, but there's a, a part in here about how, yeah, Parents in the Pipeline, retaining postdoctoral researchers with families, um, you know, there's not really any institutional support outside of, like, maybe Stanford, I think, and maybe Columbia or something where, you know, if you have kids, that there's any extra support for that. Um, mm. And just to give you an idea, my kid's preschool was not an outrageously expensive preschool, but his preschool per year cost about three times what my college did. Jeez. Yeah, that's crazy. The most expensive preschool in this in Charlottesville where we live now is about thirty two thousand dollars a year. Holy crap! Yep, thirty two k. Um, and it's a time. I'm like, sorry. What lucky. are you doing for thirty two k a year? You, you learn a second language. Um, but you know, whatever. Um, that floats your boat. I mean, your kids. I mean, kids probably should learn a second language. I'm not dissing that. I'm just saying, <laughs> thirty-two thousand is a lot, you know. But if your kid goes two years of preschool, it's like sixty-four thousand dollars. It's a lot of money. Um, you know, I can totally see why people wait to have kids. I totally understand that. And I did everything opposite in my life. I did everything backwards to what you're supposed to. Um, that said, 
I don't mind it. Do, do you really think it's a supposed to? Well, what you're told you're supposed to, you know? But, like, also, like... Okay. So, as is, like, I totally... There's... Kids are, kids are rough. I love my kids to death. But it's a difficult thing, and I would... If anyone was ever like, yeah, we're not having kids, I'd be like, cool. I totally understand. I would never be one of those people who would guilt anyone into having kids. I will tell you, best thing that ever happened to me, probably. Um, mm. But that's me. My personal experience is not everyone's personal experience, and I would not have liked to wait because I also like the idea that, like we had kids young enough where, um, you know, like my oldest is ten now, and I'm like in my thirties. Uh, it's cool. Like he's my field, he's my field assistant now, right? Like talk about work life balance. One of the ways that I deal with this is actually like I bring my kids with me a lot to go do research. You know, they know how to take water samples. They know how to core trees. They know how to do run DBH tapes. They know how to run transects. Um, you know, they're the great at frisbee. Ones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the oldest <laughs> ones, the oldest <laughs> ones, learning how to do laser stuff. Um, he's going to help me run some reflectivity experiments this summer, and so yeah, that's helpful. But I don't. It's I guess I'm rambling, but it's really complex, and I don't know. Like I would also kind of feel selfish, like asking. For extra support it would be great right but i think of it you think we're talking about 40 hour week jobs i don't know if you guys ever worked retail or, or whatnot but you think about the people who smoked and the people who didn't and the people who mm-hmm. smoked always got extra smoke breaks mm-hmm. the people who didn't always ended up doing extra <laughs> work right so like i would kind of feel this is a stupid analogy <laughs> you know i would feel guilty like <laughs> i would love if you guys want to give me an extra like ten fifteen thousand dollars a year to you know um, support my kids and I think that would be great but I would also totally see you know that's not something when I started grad school no one else had kids um, in my art department you know yeah actually last year though so, there was like eight people who did so I don't know so how maybe you've given some thought or perhaps not but how how would you try to potentially change that as a advisor or in a department or whatnot, um, how do you actually pay students a living wage when it's not just themselves that they're supporting? I don't know, because, I mean, it is their choice to a certain degree, too, right? So, I don't yeah. know. I mean, well, it's... Part of me wants to have that, like, socialist streak, but also part of me is, like, very American. Like, uh, you make your choices and you figure out how to deal with it. But also, like, there's institutions and you know, inertia that kind of keep things down and it's difficult too. like I can you know um, yeah I don't know I mean I've been looking like I, well I cannot deny that I've had it's worked out for me it's been really painful at times and it's been really difficult to do but you know we pulled it off and we did what we could um, and you know what I, what, what about things like, you know, not necessarily, you know, paying people more that have kids uh, than, than don't if you're a grad student or a postdoc or something like that, but, you know, providing access to, you know, to child care and, and things like that as, as an institutional policy. Yeah, I mean, there's like, like places like NASA apparently have like really, really good 
you know, child care and child care support. And, like, they're actually, like, in-house, and you can kind of go visit your kids and hang out with them during the day. Um, you know, a lot of universities run um, child care facilities, particularly, mm-hmm. you know, University of Virginia does. But there's often really long wait lines, like wait lists. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if there's Same 300 kids... Yeah, and you talk, you hear these stories about, you know, parents who are like, well, we had to get on the wait list for preschool before our kids were even born. Yeah, yeah. we do. <laughs> so it's just how it is, you know. Like, what are you gonna do? Um, so it's 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 a unique challenge, and I can only imagine how difficult it is for someone who's like a single parent, or you know, comes from a different background. And yeah, I don't know. It's you know, I think it's important. I think as you, for an advisor, like I was fortunate well, that people were really supportive. I, sorry, were you continuing? No, no, I was just saying, I was just really lucky that people were really supportive and kind of gave me time and space to kind of do things how I needed to do it. And that's what helped me. Yeah. Well, I, I think it gets back to a conversation we've had previously as well about attracting and retaining the best and the brightest and not necessarily the strongest or the most able to overcome obstacles who could also be the best and the brightest, but those are two separate circles and in a Venn diagram don't always overlap. Yeah. And so this is part of that institutional need to change the way that things are in order to retain the best and the brightest in our field, which, you know, in environmental sciences and ecology, um, these are global issues and, and we're at a time where we need the best and the brightest to be addressing these right now. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's a complicated issue because you want to be as fair as possible, but yeah, you also want to be, to be able to build that support in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's, you know, I feel bad for people who, who really want to have families and who intentionally put things off a very, very long time. Because, man, I, don't, I feel old now and I can't imagine having, like, a little baby <laughs> right now. I'd be like, oh, dude. We just went to Tennessee and ended up, could only get field work in in one day. I actually took everyone with me, which was cool. But, you know, like a seven-hour drive, seven-hour drive back, and basically did work. And so, like, I didn't really sleep all that much, like, me driving constantly. And the next day, like, I felt exhausted. And, like, I never used to feel like that. Um, so, yeah. Because, like, when you have a little kid, like, you don't sleep a lot. I don't know if y'all know that. So, <laughs> I've heard tell. <laughs> like, I, you know, so... I don't want to go through that when I'm like old, old. And so <laughs> glad that's out of the way. <laughs> so do you guys ever have, um, a, a thought about what you would do if you weren't doing this job or if this job hadn't worked out, what you would do instead? Sort of your plan B. Yeah. I mean, not not any like one specific thing but you know i i do a lot of analyses and i love analyzing environmental data but if i couldn't analyze environmental data for a living then i would probably want to analyze some other kind of data for a living (laughs) does that help get you through in some of the harder times when you're having a harder time with work-life balance or things like that Is that the just, fuck it, I want to go start uh, a bakery instinct? Yeah. So I think everyone feels that every now and then. I wanna do, I'd do a food truck, but... 
I'd make custom furniture. Yeah, I've been thinking diner a lot more recently. I actually would like to work in a brewery. Um, I could do that. Notice that it's all very food based. That would be good <laughs> for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want to go back to working with people. I did that for six years. I'm done with that. <laughs> Not doing that. It was something. I'll go work outside. I'll go shoot lasers at trees for like Timmins Group or something. So. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. You know, so, I, I always figure it would be fine. I mean, if you look at people with PhDs, honestly, like we have the lowest unemployment rate of everyone, right? Like of any, however you stratify things, educationally based. Um, I feel like we often get stressed out about the academic job market because it's absolutely brutal and cutthroat. And it's these very few limited resources, and they're kind of difficult to get. But there are lots of other ways to kind of exist, I think, in science. And Yeah, I think it's... You, yeah. I, Grace, you had mentioned before, like, about having kind of multiple plan Bs and kind of just always having... Yeah. Just being flexible and... You know, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of things out there. You know, you brought up the brutality of the academic job market. And, like, a part of that as well, when you're on it and you're doing these interviews and things, um, it's... If you're on the academic job market, it's something that you anticipate these really grueling interviews. But I'd never, I guess, really step back and realize that until I heard, overheard someone. Um, I was hanging out with a bunch of agent, state agency folks, and one of the state agency people was explaining to the other one what my interview process had been like because they had been a part of it. And just how shocking it was that it was like three straight days of essentially being grilled by a bunch of different people. Like, it is a really grueling process. Yeah. So the the market itself is terrible, and then the even just, like, getting through the process can be pretty uh, grueling in itself. Like, what did we sign up for? That was dumb. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, on that, and this is kind of off the topic, I think, of work-life balance, but there was... Um, okay, so... Think about this in terms of like politics, right? You think about people running for president. Um, you, you want that process to be really kind of brutal in a way, right? Like you want it to be very thorough. Is there? Do you think some necessary level for like a tenure track job of it being that brutal, or do you think it's over the line? I don't know if it's over the line, but I think that, you know, when you're when you're vetting people for any position, you want the ordeal that they go through as stringent as it is to reflect what it takes to be successful in that position. And I'm not really convinced that the academic job interview process <laughs> really has that much to do with you know what it takes to be a professor yeah you know cer <laughs> certainly the you know certainly the um you know the the job you know job talks and you know and teaching demonstrations and, and things like that if you have them um you know those are are really critical um but you know spending three days in you know back to back to back 
to back, you know, <laughs> 20 to 30 minute interviews with, you know, w- with a bunch of, you know, faculty and, and deans and, and stuff like that. Like, that's not, that's not really your life as a, as a university professor. It is when you first arrive. At least that was my, but yes, it is not in general. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to follow up. But yeah. That, I think that's, um, that's something we can do. Cause I would like to know what did the, do you remember the Rumsfeld line about the unknown unknowns? I would be curious <laughs> to know what the unknowns unknowns of being a professor are. Um, and a grace we're making you do a lot of the work on a lot of these issues just because we, <laughs> we really want to know. No, I think <laughs> you have a unique perspective here. So, but, um, yeah, the wounds are still fresh. Um, yeah, but, which I guess but no, I think that's true. It's, it's funny, John, you mentioned the like back to back to back meetings. It feels like a stump speech when you're interviewing. To some degree, you do, I, I don't know, I felt like a political candidate. Perhaps it was because it was a very political year when I was interviewing. But, yeah. So Lots of stump speeching. Do, yep. Do you feel like, to be successful in this field, that you have to kind of work the crazy hours? Which I guess we can link to the McDuffie post on Dynamic Ecology about the myth, was it the myth of the 80-hour work week or something? Really, yeah. Really, really good yeah. article. But, um, which I agree with her is a damaging myth to be spreading. Yeah. Um, and, and she makes a great point along with, yeah, like actually try to tally up the hours that you're working in a week and you are not getting 80 hours. And if you are, you are not sustaining that for multiple weeks at a time. How much do you guys work? Do you think? Yeah. That's, you know, that's a good question. I've been thinking about that a lot. And I I think, again, it's very pendulum swinging. Like, I had a grant that was due last Wednesday. And so the two weeks leading up to that, I would have felt very comfortable saying I worked 55 to 60 hours those two weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, But since that was due last Wednesday, this week, I am, I am, God, I hope that, like, my tenure um, group isn't listening. 35 hours 30 to 35 hours this week but you see you say that you hope they're not listening but that's the stuff we got to get rid of like yeah it's okay john what about you i'm gonna yeah i mean this week i i think it's pretty similar for me you know i i think that i regularly work you know somewhere you know 40 plus or minus five hours a week and you know, sometimes things are really busy. It's gonna, you know, approach, you know, 55 or 60. And, you know, every once in a while, it's gonna be, it's gonna be less than that when I know that I need a break and, um, you know, need, need a chance to take some more time for me and, and kind of recharge my batteries. So I'm only like 26 a week from Monday through Wednesday, but if you count the weekend... I only did six hours of field work, but it, between driving and everything, that's an additional 36. So depending on how you count it, I'm either at 32 so far for this week, or I'm already at 60. <laughs> so I don't know how you decide to count that. But, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and, and you know, maybe you bring up a good point, Jeff, there, that not all of them are traditional, quote-unquote, work hours. Yeah. Um, but how do you do that? It'd be interesting to speak to someone who travels for work in a more classic 9-to-5 job but does business trips, and how do they count that, and how is their time allotted for? Is that additional hours in their week, or are they given some allowance for all that travel and whatnot? That would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that is one of the things that when you're in kind of the field work mode, there's a lot of time that's just sunk into traveling. So much. I mean, depending on what you do. So. Yeah. I think when I was doing field experiments pretty regularly, I spent more time traveling than actually doing yeah. sampling. Yeah. You know, conversely, like I've helped people do 24 hour cycling experiments, which are exhausting. When you do them like back to back, where you just kind of sleep for like thirty minutes and then wake up and then go and run and do a sample and do like every hour. Yeah. So, well, what about horror stories? You guys don't have to mention names here, but any really really bad hmm. experiences outside of some of the stuff in Lab Girl? <laughs> well, we we all know someone who may be rumored to have a phobia of the dark, but the the lights in their office and lab are always, always on. And I don't... That person isn't always there, but I I have a suspicion that that person wants to create the appearance that they could always be there. Are they on the... Um... Wait, hold on. Are you questioning who this is, Jeff, because you're thinking of multiple people? Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of a well, point right uh, there. Should, um, let, me write that <laughs> let me write that backwards. Um, but I, yes, Jeff. Yes. Right. Yeah. That one. Yeah. To be fair, I have actually seen that person in there. Very many. Cause I used to go, there was a period where I was in the, during a couple summers ago where I was in the lab, like I would, come back from field work, um, come home in the afternoon, cook dinner, put everyone to bed, and then go back and work from like 9 p.m. to about 4 a.m. And I have seen that person in there all hours of the day. And it's the only person that I have seen in that building basically at every hour at some point. So, except at the wee, wee late hours. I have not seen them in the wee late late hours. But um, like after, I think 2.30 is the latest I've seen them in there. But mm. most of the time, it just has the lights on but it can be hard to say too right because depending on what someone's life is or yeah i mean what if you're naturally or what if you're like james franco and the queen of england where you only need like two hours of sleep god i would love to have that <laughs> skill like if i only needed two <laughs> hours of sleep that would be amazing, amazing. so yeah i i i had sort of a, a collaborator advisor during my PhD, and this person would sleep, they would take two times to sleep, and so they would also often be up in the middle of the night, and I knew that if I emailed them late at night when I thought it was late at night and going to bed, that I would get a response in the middle of the night and be able to wake up with something to do in the morning. So it was also just sort of modifying to their, their work-life balance, which was to get up at 2 to 3 a.m. and answer emails. 
So there, there was somebody, <laughs> there was somebody we, we we know this person too, who routinely would call their students very early in the morning or very late at night and just constantly like have them like snap to to go run and do stuff, um, just all hours of the day and really, I think went over the line. I feel like they've gotten better. I think in the last couple of years, um, but there was a period where they were very much. You know, they would call the student like 4.30 in the morning. Like, hey, you need to go do this. Go do this or whatever. You know, just constant. Like, it was definitely like over the line. And the yeah. poor, the, the student would not, very, was very frustrated about it, but didn't know, I think, or didn't really deal with it. Um, which any, As in they kept answering their phone? Yeah, kept answering the phone and kept going because didn't want to get on the person's bad side. And, oh uh, yeah i mean that's hard when you have that power dynamic i'm sure oh my god because yeah, my first know. response if that were a colleague would be like screw you i'm going back to bed i mean if Fuck it's broken that. it's still going to be broken when i wake up at nine in the morning like don't worry yeah um, i don't actually wake up at nine anymore. i wake up at like six thirty, but because i work 60 hours a week and you should too yeah. <laughs> i was about to say perpetuating that <laughs> myth jeff <laughs> we're going to perpetuate that <laughs> I just work crazy <laughs> hours because I naturally like I'm more I like binge work and that's just kind of how I do stuff right like I don't like I'll just do like a day I won't do something like today I just went to Lowe's and just bought a bunch of stuff for experiments um, and then Monday I didn't really do much in the afternoon but like I'll go through periods where I'll work like 20 straight hours on something and then maybe not do anything the next day like I just kind of binge work and I a very like that whole type A type B personality thing is not a real thing um, but I'm very much a type B personality. Like when I get onto something, I just kind of go with it and we'll lose track of time or I just won't be interested and won't do anything. Um, so I actually struggle with like what John mentioned about having kind of a structured time. And that's something I know I have to get better at because the world's not going to adapt to me. And so I need to improve in that area. So do you sometimes maybe feel that grad school set up an unrealistic expectation in that regard? Maybe, but it fosters that because it allows you yeah. to do that for five years. <laughs> I, I've been kind of feeling that way this semester. Like grad school lied to me. Yeah. Uh, my administrators and, you know, like if, if I need to talk to people in HR or the grants office or something, like they really are great. They're great at work-life balance and they do only do like nine to five or eight to four. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I want to be a functioning member of this university, I have to adapt to that. So, yeah, I'm kind of mad at like my grad school expectations in that regard. Yeah. We used to, I mean, we used to joke that there was like different shifts of students, right? Like there was some students who would roll in at like two in the afternoon. And then it yeah. like 10 or 11. Um, and, you know, I got really good at... But I, mean, I think the people who succeed are the people who can treat it more like a job. Um, but I did the job, and then I would also kind of have periods of just letting it go and just keep going and going and going. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I know. I don't know how the hell you guys manage to, like, have a social life. Um... I don't have kids. That's probably it. Yeah. That'll do it. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. That, that is I married the technician. That's another part of it. <laughs> I'm marrying another grad student, <laughs> so that that is one part. Like I, 
you don't have it's hard to not have like those long periods where you can just kind of sit and just talk to people you know like you have this late night where you're you know I guess I encourage people like if you you're in grad school or your postdoc or whatever like take the times when you have the opportunities to go out and just kind of sit with other people and just talk and that's why I try to always take advantage of that like at meetings and conferences and whatnot like you know go to the restaurant go to the bar even if you don't drink have a coke whatever just hang out and talk to people because I think it's really important you learn a lot of things and, you know it's good to have a thing to highly encourage that and I mean it can be difficult when you have kids but you know my wife my wife's been incredibly supportive and she's amazing and that's part I mean I feel like I managed okay like everyone's you know well adjusted for the most part so it's okay <laughs> like I don't you know I'll take that <laughs> yeah. but I don't know so how do you deal with a supervisor who has different perspectives on work-life balance? Yeah. Like, we've been talking a lot about ours and how we've dealt with it, but how would you deal with the supervisor that didn't have that? Um, well, you can just roll over and acquiesce. Uh, there's always that option. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know. Like, how do you deal with a ne- really negative kind of supervisor who, who there is that kind of difference in... I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I think it can get really negative, um, and that I I don't think is you know is something that any of us have had to deal with personally. But um, we might you know know some situations. You know, I think as a graduate student, um, you know, there are other faculty in the department that can provide advice. Um, you know, and, and I know in some cases, um, you know, and, and some really bad relationships between, um, you know, faculty and, and grad students that a, another faculty member, like a department chair or um, a close colleague has kind of, um, you know, tried to, to step in to help mediate and, you know, help, um, you know, forge a solution. I think sometimes those ha- things happen kind of ad hoc and so it's not always easy to know you know who your allies are um and what the right process is if you are in that kind of situation unfortunately um you know i i think for softer for softer things um that you know that i've experienced um you know more through through being in in labs with people who had um you know different work-life balance things going on um you know, I think you try, you know, try and find a middle ground, um, you know, like, you know, for instance, I worked in, you know, a lab with someone who, you know, who, who did have, have a family at home. And so it was hard to, um, you know, obviously, you know, harder to work, um, from home and, you know, to be productive, um, you know, the, the faculty mentor, you know, um, wasn't, no, not like, you know, a, a real jerk about it, but, you know, didn't have kids of his own. And I think wasn't as understanding of that situation as he, as he could have been. Um, and, you know, so, but one of the things that I realized was that, 
you know, there were certain things that, you know, the mentor was looking for as sort of like signals that, you know, his students were, you know, were being productive. And, you know, whether it's like sending an email during, you know, off hours um, or, you know, coming into the lab the next day with something, you know, worked out uh, and ready to go, you know, they're like just trying to find ways to, uh, you know, to speak the other person's language and signal to them, you know, yes, I'm getting my stuff done. I'm doing what I need to do. Um, I think, you know, in, in sort of like, you know, softer situations where it's more of a, a misunderstanding than, you know, really having unreasonable expectations. I think those types of things can go a long way towards managing that relationship. Yeah, and it sounds like maybe part of what you're saying as well is being really clear and communicating your expectations, especially as a mentor. It's really yeah. important. I think it's a good point. So, like, part of that is definitely on the mentor. Yeah, but like you, like you mentioned before, there is always that power dynamic. and um, Yeah. I think for a lot of, you know, students, maybe they haven't even really experienced that at all in some you know in many aspects of their life and it may be really difficult to kind of get over um so i don't know i've been lucky (laughs) well guys do we have anything else we want to add up because in the spirit of work-life balance i should probably go talk to my family um (laughs) 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 so i'm getting ready to leave them for the majority of the summer but no, but I I hope what we did, what we promised, which was, um, you know, add something novel and brilliant to this conversation, as well as 100% universal, right? That was the goal, John? Those were the yep. goals. You got them right. I mean, I don't... I wouldn't be shocked to find out we fell short on that. <laughs> but, but if you if you had if you had to offer, here's, like, here's straight up tips to anyone, what would you say? Well, I would say that this conversation is probably a really excellent example of everybody struggles with it, and it's not a fixed end goal. It is a constantly moving target, and so you need to cut yourself a break as well as continue to reevaluate yeah, all the time. Be, don't be hard on yourself. Like it's, it's okay. Just do the best you can. Reach out, talk to people, find someone you can talk to, make time for yourself. Um, you know, tomorrow's a new day. Yeah, you know, be thoughtful about it. Um, continue to reevaluate your situation, and um, you know, be be receptive to change. Yeah, I, I highly recommend getting a hobby. I don't have one, but I've often thought about it, and um, you know, I don't know, <laughs> learn to sew or something. I feel like knitting those hats <laughs> takes a long time. I don't think I'd be good at that. Um, most universities have a gym trying to make some time to do yoga or something I don't know gotta break it up or punch things I don't know yeah do kickboxing (laughs) dude (laughs) people who can do yoga are amazing to me I prefer to punch shit so (laughs) yeah break it up yeah like it cool um so I put a post up earlier on the Twitter page today, if you guys don't mind, if you're listening to this, to fill out a quick survey about podcast and science podcasts for an article I'm writing for the PLOS site. That would be helpful. 
I've had at least 70 people log into the website, but only 19 people respond. Um, two people listed major revisions as one of their favorite science podcasts. I'm assuming, I'm hoping that's not just John and Grace filling that out, but if it is, it's cool too. Um, we're not going to talk about stacking the data and p-hacking that, but it's all right. Um, yeah, so do you guys have anything else to add? That is really suspicious. It's two people, but then... <laughs> I, well, I'm I'm one of the 51 who logged in and didn't take the survey. Ditto. Okay, good. Well, that's good. Then there's two people. There. A lot of people like uh, um, uh, Radio Lab. I'm not sure huh. I can cons- consider Radio Lab a science podcast anymore. Those are fighting words. Maybe I'm overly pedantic about that, but I would be all right about that. Radio Lab was actually what got me into podcasting because I talk about second jobs i took a job washing acid washing bottles and it was late at night was when i could do it and so we come in and i don't know if you ever acid wash bottles but you can't really do much because you're covered head to toe in like all kinds of protective gear so you can just kind of listen to music and so i would just kind of cram radio lab podcast and they were really good i still think they're probably one of the best podcasts out there but not so sure they're science anymore that's just me yeah well we should probably be careful. Have we talked yeah, yeah. about science things or just science academic related things recently? So we can fight Radio Lab. We'll throw it down. All right. I'll take you on, Jad, Evan Rod, Robert Crowrich. <laughs> Freaking I hate old men. Okay. That's all right. Do you guys have anything else to add? No. Nope. Cool. Well. Take Jeff's Twitter survey. Do it. Take- it's been an excellent 21st episode. I think somewhere around episode 12 is when we really hit our stride, and I feel like we're in the, mm-hmm. the home stretch now. Um, no idea what we'll do next, but I know I'll be joining you guys from the lake, and I'm excited about that. So with that, thank you guys for listening. Remember, you can find us at majorrevisions.weebly.com on the interwebs. You can reach us on Twitter at major underscore revisions, and you can download this podcast from the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store, which you probably already know because you're already listening to us. And with that, thank you for listening. Thanks. See you guys. I listen to